0: You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.
1: Listener supported WNYC Studios.
2: The midterms were this week and the news is still unfolding. What are your feelings after
3: the election? I'm more of a global news kind of person. Local, national,
4: is not really my forte. I'm feeling cautiously hopeful. I'm feeling better than I was going into Tuesday, I guess. The Democratic Party weren't expected to do very well this election. And
5: I think it's impressive that they've been able to stand their ground so far.
2: It felt like democracy itself was on the ballot in a way. Do you agree with that David? Mm.
6: I think democracy was on the ballot. I don't know if it won or lost. I feel like time will tell.
2: Yes, absolutely true.
0: I am French and American, and I I cannot understand America anymore. I
4: feel like I am the wrong country. I think democracy is always on the ballot, this year more so than usual. I feel like we're in a better place, but it'll come up again in two years.
5: It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and welcome to the show. After every election, there are a couple of weeks in which national thinkers and pundits scramble to define the outcome, to tell voters what all of our individual choices mean for the political parties. And I, of course, am definitely one of the people doing that. I've been doing it all week, and we are going to do some of that tonight, too. But I do feel like voters often get lost in the conversation the moment after the political parties stop pursuing us. So in this show, I'm asking you to help me keep the we the people, as it were, in the post-election discussion. And here's the question. As you cast your ballot, what really motivated you? Like, in your heart of hearts— Maybe it was, in fact, abortion or inflation or democracy. And if so, tell me about your personal relationship to those issues. But maybe it was also something altogether different that hasn't come up in the news cycle, but that's specific to you still or to your community. What was in your head and your heart that you can share right now? And how are you feeling now that you've seen the results? And as we take your calls, my first guest is Joan Walsh. She is a national correspondent for The Nation and has been writing about politics generally and the Democratic Party in particular for a long, long time, so has many thoughts about this election. Joan, thanks for coming on the show.
4: Thanks for having me, Kai.
5: So I want to start, Joan, with a, uh, a voice note we got on our website last week. And listeners, a housekeeping reminder, you can always, when we're not on the radio, you can always still talk to us on our website. Just go to notesfromamerica.org uh, and hit the record button there to tell us what you're thinking. Anyway, here's one we got that uh, may set the tone for our conversation tonight.
0: Hi, this is Mary Lou in Manhattan. Um, I voted for democracy. I voted straight. Democratic ticket democracies. (laughs) Of course, I care about abortion rights and civil rights and voting rights, and uh, but nothing, none of that is possible without democracy. So the idea that I would vote for gas prices over encroaching fascism is would be so short sighted as to be ridiculous.
5: Anyway, that's my rant. So, Joan, this is, of course, one top line in the conversation over the past week that this election, you know, suggests there is, in fact, a multiracial, cross-ideological, cross-partisan majority of voters who support democracy. And, I mean, I guess that passes for good news today. Um, But do you even agree with me, I guess, on that assertion that we do now that this election establishes
4: there is a clear pro-democracy
5: majority in the United States?
4: I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, I I know a lot of voters like Mary Lou. Um, I think that that message really got through to voters in the closing days. I would give credit to the January sixth committee, mm. which uh, you know, delivered such compelling testimony and really forced members to stay out of their own way. No pontificating. Uh, you know, it was, A convergence of things. But I also want to talk about what a terrible job so much of the media did in the run up to this election, Mm. not just peddling, you know, fear mongering about a red wave. uh, That was bad enough. And that was obviously completely wrong. Uh, I'm not seeing a lot of mea culpas today. Kai, I don't know if you are, Uh, (laughs) but but also specifically mocking the notion that uh, People were concerned enough about democracy uh, to maybe even cross party lines uh, that they were concerned about abortion, Uh, you know, when when. President Biden gave that address on threats to democracy, he was, it was laughed about. Uh, a lot of places didn't even carry it. Um, but he was right and the pundits were wrong. The second thing is, they really tried to tell us that, you know, sorry, ladies, uh Dobbs effect is over and people really care about inflation. Uh and I think uh that was wrong too. And I uh, one point I want to make. That I think is important is that there is there's a lot of overlap between people reacting to uh, the repeal of Roe of abortion rights that we've had for 50 years and fears of democracy, because what we what we've seen increasingly, especially with a, you know the, the 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court, is that The foes of democracy are also the foes of women's rights. And uh, we're being the majority is basically being presided over by a minority um, on the court and and elsewhere. So I think that those two messages really came together. Mm -hmm. And for all the garbage about its inflation, its gas prices, I I think that that was less of a factor. What do you think we Oh, the fact that the Dobbs
5: decision was such a powerful motivator, too, and I mean this in the sense of, you know, there are all kinds of things that people care about, right? That don't necessarily translate into going out and casting a vote. Um, so, what do you think we owe uh, this Dobbs wave to in terms of organizing?
4: I think there was tremendous organizing around it. I think a lot of the groups didn't get didn't get enough credit. Um, I I know. Uh, That groups like NARAL and Planned Parenthood, as well as smaller groups, uh, really never gave up and really never got cynical about it. Um, I think it's a combination. You know, I I interviewed the pollster, Celinda Lake, who said it was factoring into the. She was polling for the AARP, uh, the retired lobby, and she said it was factoring into the votes of older women who remembered Mm. the pre-road days and really felt almost shame leaving a lesser world to their daughters and granddaughters, Uh, it was certainly influencing uh, younger voters uh, and women voters. And I think, I don't know, I mean, I don't know entirely what was wrong with the polls. I think that's a whole other show. Um, (laughs) I just think polling has become increasingly difficult and unreliable. But, you know, there were polls that showed that the number of voters who mentioned abortion or Dobbs as their motivator It did tick down from August to uh, October. I don't know why that was, but it didn't really have an effect in the ballot box. So people probably went in with multiple uh, reasons. Finally, I don't like to privilege um, the stories of any any woman over others. But I do think that the extent to which in the early days we were hearing things about women not being able to be treated for ectopic pregnancies or uh, women with rheumatoid arthritis not being able to use methotrexate because it's a potential uh, you know it, it can it can cause a miscarriage or abortion um I think that that generalized it that it really is about women's health care rights uh mm. and you know even somebody not seeking an abortion could get caught up in this misogynist trend so a uh, lot of lot of threads in there, a lot of lot of strains, but uh, it, but it mattered.
5: I mean, one thing in that regard that might be it might where this show up is: I mean, Michigan was a super interesting place in this question in the sense that you know they had a ballot proposal to create a constitutional right for reproductive freedom. Yeah. It won overwhelmingly, and the New York Times has an analysis that of uh, that vote that shows uh, the ballot initiative performed stronger in many counties than. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who won re-election, the Democratic governor, um, which means that there had to be meaningful Republican
4: support for the ballot initiative in the first place. That's right. I saw that. Um, I think in general, you know, Whitmer and her team did everything right, uh, it, it, centering abortion, but also centering climate issues, uh, gun issues. You know, I think she deserves a lot of credit, I think. You know, I frankly missed the extent to which it was going to be a good night in uh, the state houses because I didn't sense that there was as much organizing as there was, that's that's kind of on me. But I know a lot of groups were complaining that they were not able to raise the kind of money that Mm -hmm. they in, say, 2018 for those fights. But it was a great night for Democrats in Michigan and Minnesota, uh, uh, New Hampshire. I think the Democrats didn't lose a single uh, chamber in the state houses, which I can't remember when was the last time that that happened. Um, So, you know, there was there were a lot of powerful motivators and excellent organizers on the ground. And I think that really made a difference. Let me sneak in
5: our first call before we have to take a break. Let's go to Sherry in Patterson, New York. Sherry, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. I am very, very um, proud to be an independent. I know people call me unaffiliated, but I'm independent. And I think it's really important because I look at the candidates for who they are. And I was really upset that people like Adam Kinzinger got kicked out of the um, Congress. I thought that's insane. Here's somebody who's excellent. And now you're getting rid of people who are taking a stand and are, are doing things that I think are what the democracy is all about. You should be standing up for what's right. I think the other thing that got very upset was just in general, it seems like the Republicans are not creative. They don't have a plan. They don't seem to even understand or have read the Constitution. And that's really infuriating. I'm a retired teacher, and I feel like these people did not take a history class, and it's embarrassing. And I want good people who actually
5: work on policy. Thank you for that, Sherry. And we got about a minute uh, well, we're down to 50 seconds to respond to that. Real quick, Joan, what, what are your thoughts?
4: Well, I I think that's very interesting because the other thing that the Republicans are doing is really trying to limit the way we teach history, you know, rather than expand it, get smart about it, educate more people, uh, you know, whether they're talking about critical race theory or sex education or, you know, other issues, uh, they really want a very uh, whitened, so to speak, uh, and simplified version of history. So, they're going in the wrong direction, even on that specific issue. Indeed. We're going to take a little break. Joan Walsh is a
5: national correspondent for The Nation. Uh, She's going to come back and join us uh, to talk a little bit more later in the show. Uh, This is our Notes for America exit poll episode. When it comes right down to it, as you cast your ballot, what really, really motivated you? Maybe it was abortion. Maybe it was inflation. Maybe it was democracy. If so, what's your personal story about that? But maybe it was something entirely different that is specific to you in a different way or to your community in a different way. What was in your head, in your heart that you can share with us right now? And how are you feeling now that those results have come in? Does it feel like you got what you asked for? Coming up, we're going to check in on two important states in the national political conversation Pennsylvania and Ohio. So stay with us.
7: Hey everyone, this is Kusha, I'm a producer. So over the next couple weeks, we're gonna do an episode that personally has me really excited. We're gonna talk about a movie that just came out. It's Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Specifically, we wanna talk about grief. As many of you know, this movie was made in the wake of Chadwick Boseman's tragic passing. And if, like me, you've seen the movie, you'll know that it wrestles with grief and invites us to wrestle with it too. We want to explore that in our upcoming show, and as always, we want you to be a part of the conversation. So, if you've already seen the movie, here's what we'd like to know. What was your reaction to the movie? Did grief play a role for you in watching the movie? And how did it show up? Now, it could be that something came up from your own past, or your own reaction to how grief took a central role in the story, or that maybe it didn't really play a role for you at all. Let us know by sending us a voice message. You can visit our website and record your voice there. The address is notesfromamerica.org. Just scroll down the page a little and click on the green button that says record now. Or you can always email us. The address is notes at WNYC.org. Really hope to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.
5: notes from america i'm kai wright and we are conducting our own exit poll tonight pundits are reaching for the right metaphor to describe this election red ripple blue wall one of my colleagues earlier today called it a booster shot for our democracy i kind of like that one Uh, but i want to hear more from voters directly when it came right down to it as you cast your ballot what really motivated you Maybe it was abortion, maybe it was inflation, maybe it was democracy. So tell me about your relationship to those issues. And maybe it was something else entirely, something that is specific to you or your community. Just what was in your head and your heart when you cast that vote? Uh, And let's go right to Deanna in Manhattan. Deanna, welcome to the show.
8: Oh, yes. Hi. I was trying to vote out my representative because he misread me and the people in our community So I voted, and I not only voted, but I made thousands of calls for his opponent, Maria Dantelow. And even though we lost, we may have lost on the ground, but the heavens were rejoicing because we stood up to somebody who shouldn't be in office. And he's still there. Because the Democratic Party in Manhattan, I mean, in New York, is very powerful. They all line up together, and she, had a very, she didn't have a lot of money, uh, but I made those thousands of calls, and I felt great. Even though we didn't win, I felt great that I was trying to vote someone out who forgot that he serves us, okay. not the other way around.
5: Thank you, Dina. That is quite interesting. So there's, there's one where, where folks are excited to just say, listen, you're not serving me. Get out of here. Uh, let's go to Chris in Youngstown, Ohio. Chris, welcome to the show.
9: Hey, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope I don't embarrass conservatives everywhere. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, try not uh, so, to. What, what was on your heart, Chris?
9: <laughs> so inflation was really my thing. Uh, I'm a single uh, provider for a family of four. Uh, my son's three and my daughter's two. Uh, just kind of the rate of inflation has bothered me a, li- a little bit. And I do consider myself conservative, but uh, I voted right all the way down the ballot with the exception of uh, uh, Tim Ryan for J.D. Vance. Tim Ryan's uh, my constituent. So I voted for him, you know, in a hopes that he could get there and do good
5: can i ask you about that because this was one of the races that people looked at a lot nationally was that there was an expectation that tim ryan would might be able to do better than he did uh this is the ohio senate race because that he might attract voters like yourself chris um he didn't um uh jd vance won what was it about tim ryan that appealed to you uh,
9: so tim ryan's uh, you know believe it or not he's always he's around um i've seen him uh in our local mall um uh, he spoke at my graduation. Uh, he's, he's usually always at events. He doesn't seem like he's, um, I don't know that what, what, what usually gets lambasted is like a, a very bad candidate as somebody who's just always voting with this party. He seems like he's always voted in the will of the people.
5: Gotcha. Gotcha. So somebody who was present and somebody who was accountable. So that's interesting. That's two call. And thank you, Chris. So that's two callers who say that there was something specific about the way that their elected, their elected official behaved that, uh, that swayed them. Uh, let's do one more before we go to our next guest, Sylvia in Binghamton, New York. Sylvia, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Sylvia. We've got you. What, what, what was on your heart when you voted? Democracy.
6: Mm. All the other issues were of concern, but it always comes back to democracy, having some ability to participate in decisions.
5: I hear that. And do you feel like you got what you voted for? Do you feel good about the, the outcome then in that regard?
6: I feel more hopeful than I felt since 2016.
5: Okay. Thank you, Sylvia. So before the break, I spoke with Joan Walsh from The Nation about the role abortion played in this election, amongst other things. Joan is going to be back a little bit later. But for now, let me welcome two journalists who have been covering politics in their respective states uh, for a while now, each of which is a hugely important state in setting the political agenda for both major parties. Uh, Pennsylvania and Ohio offer a kind of tale of two states in this election, I think. Ohio Democrats did see a shift from 2020 in terms of support, but it was nowhere near what some national watchers thought they might see. And J.D. Vance, as we just discussed, won his Senate seat handily. And then in Pennsylvania— Maybe the ultimate swing state now. Democrats are talking triumphantly uh, as to say that they found uh, a successful model for building this elusive cross-racial majority that uh, we've law- often heard about. So let's talk about what voters are really saying in both states. Joe Ingalls covers politics and Ohio government for Ohio Public Radio and Television Statehouse News Bureau, And Sam Dunklaw is Capitol Borough Chief for WITF in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having me. So, Joe, uh, let's start with you and J.D. Vance. The conversation uh, Chris uh, there in your state just called in and said, uh, you know, he voted for Tim Ryan. Um, J.D. Vance was amongst the many Republican candidates um, who had to figure out how to sort of dance with or around Donald Trump. He, of course, chose to embrace Trump, got a stamp of approval and won handily. So what, if anything, does that tell us about where Ohio politics stand now?
8: Well, Ohio did see a red wave of sorts. When you look at the top of the ticket for the governor's race, Mike DeWine, he's a Republican. He's been around more than four decades in some sort of capacity. He won 63% to 37% against Nan Whaley, the Democratic former mayor of Dayton. She ran on abortion. That was basically the big message she got out. But wine uh, was able to bury her with money because he had so much money. He was able to run ads and um, he was able to he didn't debate her. So mm-hmm. that kind of set the tone for all the other races. And when you're talking about J.D. Vance and, and Tim Ryan, uh, J.D. Vance was endorsed by Trump, who is pretty popular, especially in rural areas of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And um, But Tim Ryan, it was curious because Tim Ryan actually tried to woo Trump voters he was he wouldn't say anything bad about Trump really he just said you know I, I vote for the idea I vote for the issue uh, I'm willing to go with Trump I'm willing to go with Republicans when they're right uh, my party's been wrong sometimes and I've, I've said that so he played himself more off as an independent and when you look at the spread, between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan, it was six points. Um, far, it, it, it's a different story with the governor's race. Right. So I think you know you can see that there was a message there that really, first of all, it got out uh, because Nan Whaley didn't get her message out because of lack of money. The other thing that I think is important is Tim Ryan did not get a lot of national funding. From Democrats nationally or groups that normally support Democrats. He pretty much did it on his own. And by not taking money and not getting money from other, you know, from Democrats, that money could go to other places, other states, and it did. Other Democratic Senate races got a lot of money. So he may have, in the end, Helped Democratic senator, uh,
5: Democratic Senate candidates in other states. Yeah. And can I ask you just like on the the basic here? Ohio used to be the quintessential swing state. You know, I can remember camping out yeah. there in the 2004 presidential election myself because it was going to be decisive. You know, and but as you recently reported, Barack Obama so won 19 counties, I think, in Ohio. Democrats this year won just eight statewide counties. What has changed?
8: Well, I I think there were a lot of people who liked Trump. The other thing that's happened is we have been losing young people. We have a brain drain here in Ohio. People come to our universities, they graduate, they leave. Ohio is getting older We also uh, see a lot of Christian nationalism popular here in Ohio. Mm. Um, We've seen, you know, for instance, uh, where I live in my little area, the school district uh, would not allow the author of It's Okay to Be a Unicorn to come in and, um, you know, read the book with the kids and stuff like that. Anyone who's read that book knows it really doesn't speak to any kind of uh, political agenda, but, you know, it's, it, there's that kind of, thought that you know you can't allow any kind of indoctrination that Mm -hmm. might encourage um, anything other than you know maybe a conservative point of view in the schools Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that's that's a big thing and right now we have a a bill that the legislature is considering even this week uh, getting a committee hearing that would ban trans athletes in girls sports and it's a very controversial bill but it's getting a heavy push from a lot of people who have a lot of sway with Republicans.
5: Sam, to hear some people tell it, Pennsylvania is on basically the opposite journey from that Joe has just described in Ohio. And, and you know, I'm one of those who feels like this election, the national, whole national election was, was defined in part by the extreme candidates that came out of the Republican primary. And, you know, Pennsylvania is certainly an example of that. Is that what gave Democrats such a big year there or is something else afoot?
1: Well, Kai, I I think a lot of your callers have been hinting uh, at why Democrats ultimately ended up winning the two marquee races for governor and U.S. Senate, and that's because uh, abortion and democracy, these two very powerful issues, uh, these two issues that have tended, at least in the last couple of years, to break for Democrats, um, uh, were on the ballot in a very real way. and It came most sharply into relief in the governor's race. Uh, You know, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania has the ability to uh, affect abortion policy uh, based on what the legislature uh, gives to that person. Uh, Now, you know, uh, there's only one real bill that's uh, in the state legislature at the moment that would have affected the constitutional right to abortion, but no direct bills that would have altered policy here in in PA. You know, it's, um, it's allowed up to the 24th week of pregnancy, but. Uh, when you compared, you know, Democrat Josh Shapiro and Republican Doug Mastriano, the two of them couldn't have been, uh, you know, on, on more opposites from one another. Uh, Shapiro saying that he would protect uh, the right to an abortion, the right to access that procedure, and uh, Doug Mastriano saying that he would, as one of his first acts of office, if the legislature presented it to him, he would sign uh, a heartbeat bill banning the uh, procedure after six weeks of pregnancy. So that motivated a lot of young people, a lot of women voters, uh, and then democracy. Uh, Republican Doug Mastriano also. Um, you know, saying that he would appoint a secretary of state uh, who was very potentially an election objector. Uh, It's not clear who that person was going to be, but that was enough to motivate people. You know, these really two uh, key issues that have not Mm -hmm. been on the ballot in such a sharp way in a really long time. Uh,
5: Let's get get to some more calls. We have some coming in from Ohio. Pat in Cleveland, Ohio. Pat, welcome to the show. That's
6: East Cleveland, which is not the same as Cleveland. Uh, It sure isn't. Thank Um, you very much. I am so afraid of the trend towards fascism that I voted to um, elect people I find really objectionable. For example, Tim Ryan, who leans so heavily to the right that you could almost have forgotten he was a Democrat in a lot of places. Our whole state party is so afraid of, uh, of the conservatives that they're forgetting to stand up for, for workers' rights, for, uh, Medicare for all, for the things that would really take care of, uh, the population. I'm, I'm a retired family physician and I am old enough to remember that we used to have wards full of people dying from attempts at abortions, back alley abortions, dying and ill and having problems with that. I am concerned about the environment, all of those things but really the the party the state party seems to have forgotten what the basic values of the Democratic Party are uh, as far as as I said, supporting the right to have health care. Right and to end these multi-million dollar salaries for insurance company executives that are bankrupting us.
5: Pat, I'm going to stop you there just for time. I want to get to other calls, but thank you for that. Uh, Let's go to Tony in Sandusky, Ohio. Tony, welcome to the show.
10: Hello. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, Yeah, I moved, I lived in Cleveland, which is heavily Democrat for my early years, and now I've lived out in Sandusky, which is halfway between Toledo and Cleveland. And it's, Pretty much, you know, Trump country, but people seem to think Trump country means we support Trump. It's more that we don't want what's been happening the last twenty or thirty years. I think we're more DeSantis. Is the fact that we just want some common sense brought back to government? Um, you know, we don't want nine month abortions. We don't want uh, green energy shoved down our throat without any true thought. I mean, nobody thinks this is going to go smoothly. So, Tony, can I ask you? Any thought to that.
5: Can I ask you a question sure. Because on something you just said there? So are you in the camp of, of folks who've said you're ready to see Ron DeSantis uh, take the mantle of the Republican Party instead of
10: Donald Trump? I, I mean, I'm a huge Trump supporter only because of his policies. Um, like I said, if his daughter could have gotten him away from his cell phone and never been on Twitter, I think he would have been reelected again. But he's so stupid and so arrogant that i know a lot of people who would never vote for him again it's the policies of what he created the fact that he brought everybody up from the bootstraps and everybody had a job and all those kind of things were good and i think that's what people were looking for it's not the I mean, trump thing I mean, most people know trump's an idiot i'm going to stop um, you like, there course, tony
5: just no, no. just for time i'm going to stop you there but thank you uh joe those two calls from ohio uh what do you think what what is what is what do you what, what do you take from those
8: Well, I went to my mom's house, which is in rural Ohio today, and went through several counties, and I still saw tons of Trump signs. I saw barns painted with Trump across them. I saw evidence in every place that we went that there were still Trump voters out there. So I think there are still Trump uh, supporters and voters because they're not taking their signs down for sure. And um, as far as Tim Ryan, he really did run on a workers, uh, a lot of his ads were about workers. He ran on a workers agenda. The thing is that Tim Ryan ended up, uh, some people didn't like, especially Democrats, kind of thought he was maybe too far right, uh, yeah. with some of his policies and they didn't like the tone of them. So I, I think that, um, you know, we're seeing a, a state where there's a real problem with rural areas and small towns not going for Democrats. And the Democrats admit that they have a real problem there. And they're trying to connect there, uh, but it's been difficult. And, um, you know, Ohio is not like other Midwestern states in that Ohio is very cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have Columbus is a huge growing area of this state, and it does lean blue, but when you go out of Columbus, and there are some other blue areas of Ohio, but when you go out of Columbus in those rural areas, the small towns, the Sanduskies where the caller was from, yep. uh, you see a whole lot of people who are... Uh, different thinking. So I think Ohio is in a state of flux right now, especially with the, the parties and the candidates in trying to find their voice.
5: And and Sam, really quick, we've got about 30 seconds here. Wh- what's the future for Pennsylvania then from this election? What does it tell us about what's coming up? Because it's going to be a huge, huge state for, for 2024.
1: Uh, I mean, in 30 seconds, I think the, what we can say is that candidates are going to matter from here on out. I mean, mm. Pennsylvania is a state that's not going to necessarily just listen to what somebody's party is. They are going to want to know where, isu- where candidates stand on issues, and they're going to have to be very clear about that and be able to communicate that with voters. That's where Republicans lost out this time, and if if they want to win, that's what they're going to have to do going
5: forward. Joe Ingalls from Ohio Public Radio and Television State Newsboro, and Sam Ducklaw, Capitol Bureau Chief of WITF in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, thanks to you both for your insights on your state's. Coming up, we're going to turn our attention to the state where an election is just starting. Again, the newest swing state in the union, Georgia. Stay with us.
3: wherever you get your podcasts
5: it's notes from america i'm kai wright and this is our special exit poll show we're hearing from you and i am joined again by joan walsh national correspondent for the nation magazine joan welcome back thanks And I'm also now joined by Fred Hicks, a political strategist and demographer in Atlanta. He's founder of the Hicks Evaluation Group. Fred, thanks for joining us.
11: Thank you. Glad to be here.
5: And so let me start this segment where we're going to turn our attention to Georgia by playing a voice note we got from a listener on our website last week. Take a listen to this.
3: So hello, Kai. Uh, My name is Lisa. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, my takeaways from the midterm elections, um, I was very discouraged um, that Sherry Beasley did um, not win here. Um, and although I don't live in um, in Georgia, I was also very, very disappointed that Stacey Abrams didn't win um, as a black woman, um, I was very hopeful that those two women would uh, be elected and they weren't. Um, I'm going to still vote. I've always voted, um, um, but it's just very discouraging. So um, very, very disappointed
5: about that. Joan, you followed both of those races. Um, you want to react to what, what Lisa said there? It's been a week, as we've been hearing from some Democratic voters, of you know uh, excitement over the abortion results and excitement over the democracy results. Um, but uh, Lisa's talk, uh, articulating something very different.
4: And I heard that so much. I was in Atlanta uh, and then Macon for the last few days of the election, uh, and I was there election night. Um, and there was a deep disappointment among Black women that Stacey Abrams could not get herself across the finish line or even into a runoff. And I think you know there are several factors here. Uh, one is sexism. You know, I don't think anyone uh, can deny that, and, and an element of racism as well. Um, You know, as the person who really put her heart and soul into building organizations, plural, that uh, were responsible for uh, Georgia going blue in uh, 2020 and then 2021 with the special the two special Senate uh, runoffs, um, you know, people were very dispirited that that didn't redound to her electoral benefit. But there was also a feeling and I don't I'm not being critical here. I just want to reflect. Some things that I heard, um, that she had become very much a national celebrity. That she was getting a lot of money out outside of the state. Um, that she didn't, I, you know. Some, sometimes it struck me as sexist as well. Like, you know, oh, she she campaigned for the vice presidential nomination. Well, so what? You know, men do that all the time. But I think it did it did hurt her. And finally, you know, Brian Kemp doing the right thing, as Stacey herself would say, just simply not. Committing treason uh, and and not blocking the uh, Georgia results in 2020 really gave him the you know the shine of uh, somebody who could be bipartisan, um, and there was lots of split ticket voting where people went for Kemp. Uh, and then for uh, Senator Raphael Warnock uh, in the Senate over Herschel Walker, so you know there's there was a lot of disappointment, but now there's a lot of optimism about the Senate race, and my you know people a lot of people are turning on a dime because they have to.
5: Fred, what do you think we can take from Stacey Abrams' now second loss to Brian Kemp? Um, you know, there's no denying, as Jones said, uh, Stacey Abrams' success in expanding the electorate, which is an important contribution to democracy, period, set outside the partisan questions. Um, but she's not been able to win. Was, that, was it just that Kemp ran a stronger campaign? Or what, what, do, you, what do you see?
11: Yeah, so that's a great question. You know, uh, Governor Kemp did run an amazing campaign relative to the overall environment. And when we think about what happened in Georgia versus what happened um, in the rest of the country, you see that he was able to differentiate himself in in a lot of ways. But I think, number one, he had a... uh, the fact that Donald Trump opposed him certainly made him more uh, made him seem more moderate than maybe his record would necessarily indicate. And, uh, and you got to remember, Donald Trump made him pretty much public enemy number one within Trump MAGA world. And so, and ran uh, former Senator Perdue against him in the primary, and he was able to win that primary with seventy three percent of the vote. And I think that um, that hit, I won't go so far as to say that endeared him, but that made him more susceptible to a lot of. Georgians, mm-hmm. and then I think beyond that, um, you know, there were there were a lot of missed opportunities. I think from the Abrams' campaign, apart aside from everything else, to really to really um, to really take advantage of, of weaknesses, they didn't really make use of of uh, local endorsements. To be honest with you, um, and they ran a campaign that left a lot of people on the ground in, here in Georgia kind of scratching their heads, and so. Um, you know, the polling all year was was pretty bad. Uh, I don't think she really, I'm trying to recall, but I don't recall a, a poll where she really cracked 46% all year, and they didn't adjust to that reality. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Georgia, I always remind people that Georgia's still Georgia. <laughs> and at best, you know, is a 50-50 state. And so that means that you have to really execute on all levels in state. Um, and that, again, that, that, that's, that's not in any way, shape, or form you know, denying her uh, her impact nationally, or even her role in and what happened um, in delivering Georgia for President Biden in 2020, as well as in 2021, um, and, and helping us through through the pandemic, with respect to to increasing voter access.
5: And what about, I mean, without, I don't want to force a, a point-counterpoint with Raphael Warnock, so like we can talk about Raphael Warnock on his own regards, but what is it that he has done um, that has made him more appealing to more voters? Uh, you know, I can't stop looking at uh, this data from the Atlanta suburbs, and maybe I'm making too much of it from the outside, but noticing that, you know, Warnock won by like 17, 19 points, something like that in those suburbs, whereas Abrams won too, but only by four or five points. Um, what, what is what is happening yeah. for the Warnock campaign for voters?
11: Well, so the big difference is that he's an incumbent, so he has a record. Um, mm-hmm. And that record over the last 18 months, or almost two years now, is one that it's really, it, it's hard, it's hard for um, I think moderate to even you know solidly left people to to have, to disagree with, you know he he worked very hard to get the caps on insulin prices you know and here in Georgia, um, obesity and diabetes are, are are real major issues and so that was a real solid quality of life issue. He's also been very active as a member of the AG committee and so I think that helped him in Middle Georgia and other places in South Georgia. Um, and then they also they also ran very different campaigns, and they had very different opponents. So, and Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams had was running against an incumbent um, who had a very who had a very solid record that he could point to. And Georgia has surpluses and things of that nature. Uh, Senator Warnock is running against Herschel Walker, who. Is really fashioned himself after Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has is on a uh, sort of, so to speak, a three game losing streak in Georgia between his own election and the two mm-hmm. Senate runoff elections. And so you, you have that in there as well. So it's, it's kind of comparing apples to oranges mm-hmm. because, in this case, Senator Warnock is an incumbent and Stacey Abrams is running against the incumbent.
4: Jonah, yes. go ahead. Well, I, you know, I, I think those are really, really great points. And, there you know, there were some hard feelings and I there may there may still be hard feelings. But, you know, I talked to people who were concerned um, that Senator Warnock was not embracing Stacey. They didn't have that many appearances together. But, you know, when I got down there, it's clear that he had a different race to run uh, and that he was emphasizing. Uh, his work on capping the price of insulin uh he was emphasizing his work on the ad committee uh his work on military issues his work for veterans it was very different rhetoric uh he you know he bragged at one rally that he's the 18th most bipartisan senator i don't know but, <laughs> I don't what that what that means, means. but <laughs> exactly but you know he was he was boasting about working with ted cruz uh and and others and so i think he saw he saw his lane to victory being very different from hers um, and you know right now it looks like he was right
5: well we have another election election that has begun to find out in the state of Georgia uh, let's take a couple more calls let's go to Alexis in Chicago Alexis welcome to the show
2: hi thanks for taking my call um you know on the question of why voting was important to us this particular time um, it's already always been important to me um, I've <laughs> my friends and I thankfully are all staunch voters. We're all Gen X and um, uh, I'm Democrat. Um, unfortunately, a lot of my friends don't vote in the smaller elections. Like if it's not a presidential election, they're not interested. And I just want to say that even in a blue state like mine, it's so important to vote in every election. For example, we our governor was um, up for election. And after the catastrophe of the last Republican governor, where he didn't pass a budget for two years, um, I was happy to keep Pritzker in office. I feel like he's doing a good, a uh, good job. Uh, I wanted to keep Duckworth in. She's fantastic. Um, and then, you know, there's judicial elections that are very important. Um, we also had a, a constitutional amendment about the right to unionize. So, um, this was a really important election for me right. for many reasons.
5: All right. Well, thank you, Alexis. And Fred, I you know, it's funny, y- Y'all don't really have a problem with people seeing the importance of a local election in Georgia at this point. It seems like, uh, do you do you feel like going into this runoff that there's going to be the same level of enthusiasm on all sides uh, that there has been? Well, well, Go ahead.
11: It, yeah, well, I'll point a correction on that. You know, we um, you know, the election last week pretty much had the same turnout as the election four years ago. So in 2018, we had 3.93 million voters come out, and then you had a presidential where you topped 5 million, and then you had the runoff two months later that also topped 5 million in terms of turnout. And so we actually underperformed this year. Mm -hmm. We should have had somewhere in the 4.3 to 4.5 million, but we basically had the same turnout, 3.94 as of right now, to 3.93 four years ago. And so that, that's actually really problematic. And a, a great number of Democrats stayed home, particularly around the metropolitan um, Atlanta area. Really?
5: That's interesting because the, the, the narrative is so like, oh, it's the same as 2018. That is what I very much have took in, t- took in my head. But your, the point is that it was growing and it stopped.
11: Right, it was growing significantly. I mean, we added over again, thanks to the work of of Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight. Uh, we added more than a million people to the voting rolls from 2018 to to this year. But to have the same, basically the same turnout, that was again, that was very, very problematic. Most models um, had it going much higher. As a matter of fact, during early voting, we had 2.5 million, so we shattered all the all the midterm voting records. For for Georgia, but then on election day, it looks like we only had about 1.4. When mm-hmm. most projections, um, including I think initially from the SOS, they thought they'd have about I'm sorry SOS being Secretary of State, uh, they thought there would be about two million people. So again, you're talking about six you know six hundred thousand fewer votes, and probably a good. Sixty percent of those, given where the drop off was, uh, occurred in Democratic areas. And that's the difference. And is that owing
5: to voting challenges or lack of enthusiasm or what?
11: So there are a number of factors. You know, we passed that SB 202 voter, quote unquote, you you guys can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, uh, voter integrity (laughs) bill last year. And we really saw that impact voting by mail. Uh, which was really a tool that was used in 2020 by Democratic and minority voters uh, to elect Joe Biden and and the two senators. That pretty much went back to 2018 levels, and then you you uh, you had some other other structural issues. But what I found in talking to a lot of Democrats is that they weren't uh, Democratic voters. That so they just were not. Um, they didn't they didn't feel. That there was a lot of contact, and honestly, on election day here last week, there was not the traditional uh, visibility. We didn't see the traditional sort of ground game, what we call ground and pound—you know, snatch and grab, where you go knock on doors, say, hey, have you voted yet? Come out and mm-hmm. vote. That stuff didn't happen this time. And so, one of the big criticisms that folks have here on the ground here is that both campaigns spent way too much money on TV and not enough on the ground, and that cost both. Um, both candidates in in the case of Senator Warnock is what forced him into a runoff because he only missed avoiding a runoff by about 20 to 22,000 votes, someplace in that that, that area. So he was very close to winning without a runoff. Um, And then, of course, J.C. Abrams uh, faring a bit worse, about three points worse than she did four years ago. Uh, But that being said, you know, I do think that Senator Warnock ran a, a very solid campaign, and again, I think that uh, Stacey Abrams ran into some, head, some headwinds, but we didn't get the turnout that we needed. In order to see, yeah. if you, that's if, again, if you are the Abrams campaign or the Warnock campaign, they both suffered from from a depressed turnout. Yeah.
5: John, just to, to, to pivot because we're running out of time, and I want to get to a couple other questions that callers have, have asked. Uh, we have uh, a YouTube. Someone on YouTube commented from Missouri um, that you know the the deeply red state of Missouri approved expanding the budget of the police budget, which is something that the the, the commenter disliked um, but approved the use of uh, recreational marijuana and de- decarcerating folks on minor position charges and expunging their records um, how much did we see these sort of push and pull on issues that that are supposed to look progressive and they're supposed to be, everybody's supposed to agree on and things that are supposed to look conservative everybody's supposed to agree on where where things didn't come out quite so clear across the state
4: right yeah I mean I think that that's been happening in the last few years I think in in 2020 um, Or was it 2018? I'm losing track. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's too many Um elections too many elections, Uh, Florida voters and approved a minimum wage hike while also I think it was, you know, electing DeSantis. But at at any rate, you know, we we see these cross currents. People are not one dimensional voters or one issue voters with a few exceptions. Uh, And so, you know, I I think Democrats need to pay more attention to those things. You know, I think it it really helped that Fetterman was a proponent of uh, legalizing marijuana, for example. You know, I think that really got people's attention early on in Pennsylvania. but yeah, people aren't aren't one issue in general.
5: Let's sneak in one more call, uh, Leah in Mankatoa, Minnesota. Leah, welcome to the show.
12: Hi there. <clears throat> I think I excuse me misspoke to your producer. I I voted. I'm a Democrat that pretty much votes a straight Democratic ticket, but I actually voted the Republican side in the primary and in the first district in Minnesota, we had a special election. So we had a special election primary. Then we had the special election and both times I voted in the primary on the Republican side because I figured we were going to get a Republican and maybe I could help avoid getting the Minnesota Marjorie Taylor green in the one candidate. So Mm -hmm. It actually came down to 400 votes. And so if you're pragmatic, voters actually do have a say if, if you're really watching. But sometimes it's in that primary where you really get the say. That's all I want to say, say that that was my most Th- consequential vote, and
11: I've been happy with the results.
5: Thank you, Catherine. You're going to get the last <laughs> word from, from callers. Fred, you're trying to get in. You got 10 seconds.
11: Yeah, so we saw the same phenomenon play out in the Georgia primary, where 70-plus thousand people who voted in the the 2020 Democratic primary crossed over to vote in the Republican primary, and we think that was to stop the Trump candidates, particularly for Secretary of State.
5: Fred Hicks is a political strategist and demographer in Atlanta. He's founder of the Hicks Evaluation Group. Joan Walsh is national correspondent for the nation. Thanks to you both. And thanks to everybody who called in. If we didn't get to you, you can still talk to us. Just go to notesfromamerica.org and look for the record button leave us a voice note right there on the website and we really really do listen and really really appreciate it notes from america is a production of wnyc studios you can find us wherever you get your podcasts or follow us on instagram at notes with kai and i am kai Wright. thanks for spending time with us tonight we'll be back here next week